Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and forgotten taxpayers, forgotten victims of crime, victims of illegal aliens. This is the show for you, the Conservative Review Podcast. Daniel Horowitz here in the house on Tuesday, February 18th. And yes, we are going to have a very special guest today who is a forgotten victim of Mexican cartels, a forgotten federal agent, an inconvenient survivor, someone that people like Jared Kushner sitting in their ivory towers don't think about when they sit around the table with the corporate masters thinking about how much slave labor they want to bring into this country. There are certain things that they don't think about. Justice. Abstract concepts like borders, sovereignty, security. This is the show where we do talk about that. Before we bring on our very special guest, I want to just set the table about forgotten victims. About forgotten victims of crime, forgotten victims of illegal aliens. A two-tiered justice system. There's a lot of talk about that with the whole Roger Stone thing, but I think there's a more important manifestation of this. I want to first start off by just thanking Mark Levin. Some of you heard me on the show last night. Um, Look, he didn't have to have me on, and he's the only one who is willing to have me on, sounding the alarm that under this administration, headed into an election, highest levels of Republicans in the Senate and in the administration are pushing a mass amnesty bill that they plan on marrying to another amnesty bill when the Supreme Court opinion comes out on the so-called DACA, Obama's executive amnesty. And you would think this would be the most consequential thing that anyone with a megaphone who calls himself a conservative and has influence over Trump voters would utilize to its fullest and focus on first and foremost more than any other issue. But not so much, not so much. I'm the only one pushing this. So thank you, Mark, for having me on. Now, you look at what's going on with America becoming a dumping ground. And we being the forgotten people. Yesterday, a report came out. I think Washington Examiner was the first to break it. They got the tally from DHS as to how many illegal aliens were released into our country last year, fiscal year 2019. Now, this is not the total number of illegal aliens, you know, that were lost in our communities. There are many more that we never caught. These are the ones we downright apprehended first at the border and then released. 375,000. It is truly, truly hard to imagine what that, the cost of that. By some estimates, the lifetime cost of an illegal alien could be $180,000 on net because their fiscal liability, you know, the taxes they pay versus the benefits they receive. You multiply that by 375000 Let me tell you, folks, that is a heck of a number. That is a heck of a number. Um... It is what it is. 
We just don't matter. Then you see the story we have out. We have out a a pair of articles today that really track closely. They parallel each other. Of two injustices that really require the immediate attention of Congress. One of them is going to be our guest today. But the other one is Kate Steinle. As you well know, 2015, this illegal alien, Jose Zarate, went and picked up a SIG P239 40 cal. And he, he, he just didn't know what he was holding. And he claims the gun just fired on its own. Shot Kate Steinle on a San Francisco pier, chucked the gun into the bay. It was a gun that was stolen from a Bureau of Land Management, I believe, BLM federal agent. And he was acquitted in 2017 by a San Francisco jury, which was very tainted, had a lot of immigrants on it. It's interesting, like, you know, if the shoe's on the other foot, they say, well, the jury's tainted because it's white. And the Supreme Court, including Republican appointees, to this day, vacates so many convictions based on that. But when the shoe's on the other foot, where it's known that they circle the wagons a lot more, I mean... Most whites don't think about, oh, a white person. No, like, well, if the guy's a criminal, he's a criminal. The, the parochialism, to the extent it exists, and it certainly is not among all um, people, but it's among non-whites a lot more than the other way around. But that's a two-tier justice system. Then, last year, they vacated the state gun charges because the judge said, well, you know, picked it up and fired it, but he didn't know he was in possession of the gun, even though he picked it up and fired it. Go wrap your arms around that. Then also last year, they said that Kate Steinle's family cannot sue for civil damages. Now, last week, the, the final conviction was federal firearms charges. And a federal judge, an Obama appointee in San Francisco, said... I don't think the guy is mentally competent to stand trial. Mind you, he was mentally competent to re-enter the country five times after being deported. He was mentally competent to stand trial for six other felony convictions. But this is different because this, I mean, even though he committed crimes as an illegal alien before, it was never publicized. Here, he became the most notorious criminal alien in the country. Well, there's two sets of justice in this country. One for Americans, one for illegal aliens. You see, illegal aliens can break into this country, demand rights, sue ICE agents, sue us. But victims of crime cannot get justice. If your blood is not already boiling, I want to take this to the next level. So what could be worse than the injustice foisted upon Kate Steinle's family? Well, I don't know if this is worse, but it's certainly at least as maddening. Last year, we had on the show Victor Avila. For those of you who don't remember, he was an ICE HSI agent who together with his partner in HSI, Jaime Zapata, were detailed on a mission in Mexico And what transpired there is what I call the Mexican Benghazi that a lot of people, really most Americans never heard of, were coming up on, or we just actually passed the ninth anniversary. This is February 15th, 2011. 
And they were sent on this dubious mission on a highway that the State Department said you can't travel on, but they were told to travel on it to uh, transfer equipment uh, to an office somewhere from Mexico City. They were on, on Highway 59, and somehow the Zetas cartel were waiting for them. Clearly, they knew they were coming. Clearly, they were tipped off. How they were tipped off, we still don't have answers. And they were attacked. Jaime Zapata was killed. Victor wound up being able to stay in that armored vehicle while, um, you know, they were shooting at him. They went away. It was a whole ordeal. It really uh, just a riveting story as he was injured. I want you guys to go back to our June episodes, episodes 425 and 428. It was a two-part series we had with, with Victor to talk about the story of what actually happened, the cover-up. None of it makes any sense. But I want to talk about the here and now, the injustice, the two-tiered justice system we seem to have in this country. This clamor, clamor for criminal justice reform for every stinking criminal in this country. More leniency and more leniency and more leniency. But there's never any sense of urgency when you have one hole after another after another loophole in the court system to let off what everyone should agree are universally the worst people around um, from justice. So together with the case Stanley Injustice, we, we talked about over the week, and I'm going to have an article out. This actually came out a few weeks ago, and I'm sorry I didn't get to this earlier. But the D.C. Federal Court of Appeals vacated two life sentences for two of the people that um, shot at uh, Zapata and wound up killing him and, and injured Victor Avila in that incident. Seven, a total of seven were extradited. Um, two of them got, got mandatory life sentences. The others actually did not. But now the two that had the mandatory life sentences, they still have up to life sentences for other convictions, but there are two convictions um, that were thrown out because they say, well, killing a federal agent overseas doesn't really apply. The statute doesn't apply if they're killed overseas. Suddenly, suddenly we have this um, sense of borders on the part of courts. It's very interesting. So illegal aliens could break in and practically sue ICE agents if they don't like the the temperature of the burritos in the, in the facilities. They sue them. I mean, just this week there was a lawsuit I saw. Uh, one parent, every time something goes awry, they blame ICE, they blame CBP, they get standing to sue, they get to sue us on our dime, taxpayer dime for everything they want. But somehow when it comes to get justice to an ICE agent killed by Zetas cartel members, they get their uh, sentencing vacated. With us today, you can't get more firsthand than Victor Avila, who was there, he was injured, he went through the last nine years of torture, um, really being an inconvenient survivor at the hands of, of the, the government, um, going through just the, the terrible aspect of it is for a victim to actually seek justice, even in a slam dunk case, it's truly very hard. And there's seven ways from Sunday for even cartel members to get out of convictions. This is one of them. Victor, thanks again for joining us. Really sorry about the bad news. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me today and, and, and giving me an opportunity and a voice to, uh, to really uh, tell the audience what's going on and especially express the, uh, 
you know, how, how this decision has affected not just me, but the Zapata family as well. Sure. So let's start from the specific here and now and then kind of work backwards to unpack the injustice of this whole incident, starting from the criminal angle and then, you know, the political angle from DHS. So could you just explain in, in just plain terms what happened at the D.C. Court of Appeals in January and what are the consequences of it? So what happened is they, um, um, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, a couple of defendants appealed their sentence. And it wasn't just the two that received the life sentences. There were other appeals for the other defendants as well. But the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals handed down the decision, as you mentioned, that the murder of Special Agent Jaime Zapata was extraterritorial, meaning that uh, since the murder happened outside the United States, it would be invalid and therefore remanded it back to the D.C. Circuit Court. And the biggest, biggest consequence of that is that, one, right now as I talk to you, there is no one, none of the defendants are are charged or anyone with the murder of, of a special agent abroad. Um, there are other charges there, and, I, and I'll go over them so you can know what, what still stands and was not affected. But now it takes away the mandatory life sentence that they were convicted under. Now they're looking at up to a life sentence, which now just means that they could be sentenced all the reduced, all their sentence could be reduced all the way down to 35 years, which is the most that the other defendants that pled guilty received. So let me tell you really quick, there were seven defendants, two went to trial, never cooperated, never said anything. Those are the ones that received the the consecutive life sentences. They will be remanded back for resentencing. The other five defendants received 35, 34, 30, 28, and 12 years uh, as sentences. We never agreed with that. The Zapata family and I never agreed with those sentences, but that's what the Department of Justice and uh, recommended, even though we pleaded with the judge to give them more because they were also facing life sentences. And um, I, I never agreed with whatever cooperation they said they gave uh, was never enough to justify those type of sentences. But anyway, that's what we had to live live with. Um, by the way, the one that got 12 years was one that was convicted of being an accessory after the fact. He's due for release August of 2021. Yeah, that's right. Next year, he'll be released. Wait, wait, August of 2021. When was he extradited? He was extradited in 2012, I believe. So isn't that only nine years? So 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 again, because Victor, we we speak a lot on the show about crime in general, sentencing, federal prison population. So remember the type of people in federal prison. These are cartel members, Zetas cartel members. So twelve year sentence, and ultimately it's going to be about nine years for this guy. Absolutely, and, and obviously because of the of the time credit that they receive in federal prison. But you're absolutely <laughs> absolutely right, Daniel. These guys, these guys are evil. These are the the worst of the worst. I don't have to, I think, be explicit and tell you what they're capable of and what they they've, they've done, not just to us and killing an American agent and shooting me, but these guys decapitate people, <clears throat> they dismember people, they they rape women, they uh, extort. Uh, people, they, these guys are the worst of the worst. The worst evil that I've seen in my career are these men. And 
what do you think is going to happen when they get released? And yes, they might get deported back to Mexico, but we know what's going on at the border. They might just be right back. And so, um, yeah. uh, so that's the danger. And the, the, the other consequence is that what, what message are we saying, sending down to Mexico and the rest of the world and protecting the rest of our American agents that are serving abroad? It is just uh, uh, it's disgraceful that the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals would rule this way. Wow. So, so there's a lot to unpack. There are a lot of consequences. So number one, you're saying there are other standard murder charges that, they, that still stand as of now and a, and a firearms char- charge that is keeping them up to life, but it could be only 35 years, whereas this statute, it was 18 U.S.C. 1114, uh, killing a federal agent, uh, they th- this court, in contravention to two other court rulings, the se- uh, Second Circuit and Eleventh Circuit, uh, they, they suddenly want to say it doesn't apply overseas, so there's no mandatory life. Um, and as, as such, it's not just you, but there's a message to all federal agents serving overseas, which there are plenty of them, especially DEA, but many others, um, that there is no mandatory life sentence at this point if the D.C. Circuit, which is considered the second most important court, uh, is able to stand. Um, We'll see if DOJ um, uh, appeals it, but I I first want to get to just the the general justice sense. Um, You mentioned some very important things that touch on a lot of themes we talk about on this show very often. Um, they talk about, you know, the federal prison population as if it's like some, uh, yeah, some guy caught with some marijuana, which of course is not true. You don't wind up in federal prison. Frankly, you don't wind up in state prison for that anymore. Um, but the reality is these are Zetas cartel members and putting the 12 year guy aside for a minute, I want to get to that case, but the other four, um, that were not given life sentences, you know, these were the guys like you see in the movies that were that that forced you guys off the road, sprayed. Um, was it automatic fire or was it semi-auto fire? Both, both. Uh, AK-47 okay. handguns. Uh, yes. So, so yeah, just sprayed it with bullets, and you know, DOJ, and and this is what people forget. This is what they forget. When when they when, when when you look at the amount of time people serve in, and people are like, oh there's there's too many people in prison too much sentencing built into the system is almost everyone pleads down and whether it's federal or state prosecutors they almost always accept it so in this case they accepted it like you said ranging from what twenty two to thirty five years um, for those four individuals. And again, you get the time credits, and this is this is another thing. I would like to find out, and I, I'm actually going to research this, if at least the 12-year guy was eligible for this first step act, the, the early release, um, because I know it does apply to illegal aliens as much as they try to say it doesn't, and um, or foreign nationals, and they could put in, be put into home confinement a, a third of the sentence, you know, the, the, the latter third of the sentence, so again, I'd, I'd like to see if, if these guys are going to get a third of their sentence lopped off, um, because of course they're nonviolent felons, as as uh, my friends in this uh, <laughs> phony cons- conservative media, much less the liberal media, like to say. 
So could you talk a little bit about that process of how they arrived at these plea bargains, even in the other cases? Oh, my goodness, uh, Daniel. This was uh, as, as a as a prior federal probation officer. I worked for the U.S. courts. I prepared the sentencing guidelines for U.S. district judges. Mm. And so I, I had a, a inside knowledge and in knowing how the how the court system and procedure works. And, and let me tell you, in all my career, either as a federal probation officer or as an agent, a criminal investigator, I have never seen a departure for this type of violent crime ever. And they did a departure, what they call a 5K departure, meaning that the guideline, when it's calculated on these, on these other defendants, the guideline calls for life. They're at the bottom right of the chart, life, and sentence, life imprisonment for all of them. So the judge, the Department of Justice, which at one point I didn't know who they represented, whether they represented us or the defendants, because the number <laughs> of years that they got and they recommended to the district judge in, in, in D.C. was nothing that we agreed with, uh, either as victims and even uh, uh, just in general. But to depart from a life sentence down to 35, 34, all the way 28 and 12 years is just ridiculous. They would have had to given up, and I, this is what I always say all the time, even if they gave up Chapel, I don't care. It doesn't justify, maybe at that point you yep. could say, well, okay, they gave up Chapel, let's work a deal. But as far as I know, they have never given anything substantial sure. uh, to the government that could justify that kind of de uh, departure from the, from the sentence, but they did. And the judge went with that. We pleaded with, with our victim impact statements with the judge. I, I told him what I'm telling you right now, and he still went with the recommendation of the government. And so, yes, these well, guys when are did young. This occur? They when did this occur? The uh, summer of 2017. Oh, okay. So this was already in the Trump administration. Now, this is DOJ obviously does the prosecutions. Now, you are part of ISHSI. That's DHS. Did anyone from DHS step in and say, wait a minute, we got a lot of agents there. Um <laughs> Frankly, DOJ under um, FBI and, and really DEA has has the most in Mexico. Um, and, and, and I do know that I have friends at DEA that were very into this and because they were very concerned about their agents there. Um, Absolutely. So nobody stepped in. Nobody was like, hey, you know, these are Zetas guys who killed an ICE agent. Um, wouldn't it be a no brainer to get life? No, no, none of that, Daniel. As a matter of fact. Uh, there was a lot of support from other agents in the court while we were there for the trial and, and at the sentencing, which happened in the fall of uh, 2017. But there was no higher management from HSI or ICE there. I personally invited the director um, and other members to, to show support and, you know, in solidarity for, for law enforcement. But there was not, none of that support from ICE. Uh, they were nowhere to be seen. Um, wow. Wow. That is, that is crazy. And, and guys, I mean, if you haven't heard the episodes from last year, um, you will, you won't have a full appreciation of this, uh, episodes 425, 428, make sure you go and hear it because you'll just see the malfeasance before, during, after it's almost like they wanted to get rid of you and Zapata's family. Um, his parents were, are very involved in this. And um, what, what I'm trying to figure out, well, well let, let, let's first 
just close the loop with the criminal convictions before we get into the civil lawsuits and the politics and DOJ, DHS, ATF, Fast and Furious, that type of stuff, um, what happened. But on the criminal end, um, so the guy that, that was convicted, that was sentenced to just 12 years, he was the one guy that wasn't present there at the at the moment at during the attack right uh, could you talk about the family how his family was brought into the country yeah so let, let, me, let me explain how we, we 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 found this out and it was kind of by mistake that we uh and by kind of luck that we found out way before um way he, he had pled guilty and we found out way before 2017 maybe about 2015 we had found out that this defendant's family had been brought to the united states because he he went and approached the uh through his attorney the department of justice saying that his family had received death threats in mexico um and so our government paroled his family in or brought him in with a permit into the United States and put them up in an apartment somewhere undisclosed and were there. And we, the taxpayers were paying for that. The, and, and when we found out out what at first it wasn't such a big deal for us because, uh, you know, the government does what they have to do and, and, and the defendant and all that. But then we are coming up to the trial and I want to, I, I'm, I get paid my way through the U S marshals, uh, victim, fund or whatever, but I want to take my family in support. Uh, and so I had to end up paying for my parents and my siblings and my wife and kids to accompany me in this, as you can imagine, a very, very treacherous and very stressful uh, summertime there to be there. We were there for almost three weeks, but they wouldn't pay for any of that. Yet they would pay for this family uh, because they're threatened. But my family, we've been threatened since wherever I got when I got shot in Mexico, we were my family was extracted in a very uh, a tra- traumatic fashion from Mexico, extracted out of there in an airplane, and, and it's a whole different story. But that sure. was never taken account for, and um, and so the Zapata family and I had to pay our way to attend the, the to attend the this trial. And we we bring I brought it up to the to the DOJ and and told them, listen. You could pay for that guy, but you can't pay for my family for just two weeks to be at a hotel. And so we we um, we fought that. And um, uh, there was a couple of uh, uh, they paid for me and they ended up paying for one room. And I ended up, you know, we ended up staying, still paying thousands of dollars out of pocket. And that's never been reimbursed. But and, and that's that's been from the very beginning, Daniel, since the day I got shot, there's been, you know, Lots and lots of expenses that my family and I have incurred yeah. that have never been reimbursed, but that's that's a whole other story. But I just want people to understand that that's what that's what we saw. This is what happened, and yet there's no uh, you know there's no solution to it. We we can't do anything about it. It's been done. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the, the Jaime Zapata, the first agent killed overseas. Um, or at least, uh, you know, agent killed in Mexico since 1986 and t- 2011. That was a big deal. Obviously, you were wounded in the attack. You were part of that, and you would think you would kind of be like a national hero, um, but you were just shunted away, kind of pushed out of the agency, weren't really helped through the process, weren't wanted, 
Um, I want to get to that in a minute on the civil lawsuit side, but just to again close the loop here. So I'm not I'm not understanding this with the with the guy um, who was sentenced to 12 years, the family coming in. You're saying were all the families brought in, or is just this one? And just, and just that one. You, as far as I know, it's just that one of that defendant. So so. So you're saying it wasn't just a matter of oh the defendant's family coming in for a trial, it was for it was, they they feared persecution or something, and you're saying they are still here to this day. As far as I know, they're still here to this day, and they were already in the country two years prior to the trial, <laughs> and so they they were not brought in for the purposes you know to uh, to see their family member go to trial. No. They had already been here. And by the way, they did not show up to the trial. And so they were uh, they were already in the country almost maybe two, maybe even more than that, two years before the trial. Um, and so we found were they out here illegally. They're here on a on a permit. We're here. They're here on a what they call what we call a parole, uh, which means they're here on a permit to be here. I'm, I don't I have no idea what the status is today, if they're still wow. on that on that permit or what their status is. But the but they were brought here. They're not they're not completely undocumented. That's for sure. Um. So they were brought in, and and when you say persecution, I, I'm assuming it doesn't mean that the people locally in Mexico were gonna retaliate against the family for killing an ICE agent. No, they. they so he <laughs> he claims that the, the his family was in danger. I guess from the other Zeta cartel. But ah. but, uh, but 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 you know that's. These guys are are hitmen. They're sicarios. They're they sure. kill people for a living, and now all of a sudden they're afraid that 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 that's going to happen to their family. What a shocker, folks! The, the, this is a real life example of what we talk about all the time on this program. How we have become a dumping ground. We are taking advantage of. We are last, dead last. Americans last. Um, this whole business of persecution. It's such crap beyond belief because you have cartel on cartel violence so you know the same way we have the sunnis and the shias fighting each other overseas and we bring in from both sides of the civil war we're doing the same thing in mexico you'll have the zetas and sinaloa or even intra zetas the old z's versus cdn and you know they said well i fear the other one well yeah they do fear for their lives they're both hitmen for each side I mean, this is unbelievable that the family of someone involved in the killing of an ICE agent ultimately was brought here. Um, Victor, this is something I'm going to have to look into. I don't know if I could uh, get to the bottom of it, but I'm going to make some calls after the show. Um, I want to move on to your standing with DHS. Um, I'm assuming since we spoke last in June, you have not gotten any more clarity of you know as to why you were sent on that mission how so how the zetas knew about it um why they had no interest in you afterwards why they weren't releasing any foia documents why you were pushed out of the agency i mean any more clarity no no none none since i last spoke to you and none since the the initiation of all this and 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 i want to i want to make something clear i'm a big supporter of ice and DHS. Uh, despite of what happened to me, I stand with them. I support them. I I I, I will fight with them. I, I the men and women of ICE, DHS, uh, CBP. I, I love what they do and I support them. I want to make that very clear. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and so that that has nothing to do with that here. But 
when in my case, the um, a- after the shooting, you know, we we tried to get the documents. We tried to get answers to what happened. How did this assignment come come to be? Because as you remember, I challenged this assignment. We knew the intelligence. I talked to the other agents that I was going to meet. They didn't want to do it, and and we were ordered to do it. And so uh, I wanted to know the the emails, and I want to see the traffic because I I and Jaime were never properly debriefed like you usually are. We were never, uh, we were not given any backup. We were not giving any uh, uh, escort service like we usually would in Mexico. This was just a, uh, despite the alert that was issued by the U.S. ambassador that we, it was prohibited to be on Highway 57. You couldn't be on there for personal or business reasons. My, my agency completely disregarded all, all that and all the issues. And, and, and if you remember, Daniel, one of the uh, my supervisors said that he wasn't aware of any uh, security issues in Mexico. Yeah. I don't know what country he was working in, but that's the type <laughs> of spa- statement that he said right before the uh, the the, uh, the assignment. But so we we move forward. We filed a, a, a civil lawsuit uh, citing gross negligence, and it really it, it doesn't go anywhere because simply we do not have the documents to present to the exactly. district court. And so the, the judge is telling us, give us the documents. We request them through FOIA. We request them through email. We request them through letters. We request them officially, unofficially, any which way we can get them. And they've all either been denied or he, we have received completely redacted sheets of paper. Um, or in one case, a, a, beautiful, a beautiful binder full of news clippings and art, news articles uh, about the shooting. That's all public information off the internet, <laughs> and 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 this is from an order from a district judge ordering them to to produce documents, and we never got them. So last year in May, the judge dismissed the whole lawsuit. So there is no lawsuit; it's it's gone. It's been you, dismissed. You can't file file a FOIA lawsuit, you know, just that they're stonewalling you. Um, I I've been working with the Judicial Watch, uh, with them. They've been great. Uh, Judicial Watch said, you know what? Let's do this. Let's uh, a couple of years ago, they said, let's not, let's not focus on ICE. Since you worked under the U.S. Embassy and the State Department, let's file the FOIA and get the documents from the State Department. In fact, I called from the suburban, as you recall, the distress call was to the U.S. Embassy. And so there's got to be a record yep. of that, the call, emails, and all that traffic yep. between the State Department and ICE. So initially, they said there was like 1,800 documents that they discovered immediately. And then... Fast forward six, seven, eight months, they came down to one document. All of a sudden, all the documents were gone. And then um, I got the one document. It was redacted. <laughs> and then, uh, and so even, <laughs> even for judicial, you know, Judicial Watch is the experts when it comes to FOIA. And they filed a lawsuit. They went to court on my behalf. And they were very surprised that we, to this day, have received nothing. I've, I've gotten a couple of documents that have nothing to do with what we requested. And, and still have not received anything from even the State Department. So there is a cover-up, there is stonewalling, and now they keep on citing, well, it's still an ongoing investigation. Well, it is open because of the appellate court, right? It's still not closed, but the actual investigation has been over many, many years ago. And uh, as long as they continue citing that, we're never going to get these documents, but I'm not going to stop until, until I do. Sure. Well, it doesn't seem like there was much of an investigation. You're telling me, I mean, you went through that ordeal and you weren't even debriefed. They had no interest in talking to you 
Um, the, the problem I always had with this is that at each stage, there's something very chilling. So, you know, you could say they made a mistake and got embarrassed and then tried to cover it up. But it's worse than that because the premise of the mission was like a suicide. Doesn't make sense. Um, they were waiting for you. The Zetas were waiting for you. So that doesn't make any sense. You weren't debriefed. You were pushed out. So then then just describe again what happened in, you know, the years after. So, you know, you healed the next few months. You, you were shot in a couple places, pretty seriously injured. You you um you recovered fully. Thank God. What happened when you went back to work? Well, I initially went back to work um, and uh, about five months later, got uh, assigned to the U.S. Embassy in Madrid. And um, I, I, about eight months after that, um, I wasn't feeling well. I had PTSD issues, and I requested for some time off. They they didn't give me the time that I requested, only 30 days. And I tried to, you know, uh, see what, what other uh, avenues there was, like workers' compensation, stuff like that. And all that was denied. And um, and all of a sudden, my my email gets canceled. My... Um, the request for my vehicle to be taken. This is all in Madrid, by the way. And, mm. and, and then my, my tour, my three-year tour gets cut short. And 19 months into the tour, they said, you got you to gotta leave Madrid and, and pick a city to go to in the United States. And I said, no, we, we, we want to be here for three years. This was the contract. They said, no, you, 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 you must go now. And I got issued a three-hour letter, which is a terrible thing to receive. A three-hour letter is you either resign you retire or you relocate. And a three-hour letter as an agent is a terrible thing to receive because it means that you have committed some kind of uh, egregious sure. uh, violation of law or policy. And I had done none, none of that. But I, they did issue it on October 15, 2012. They gave me 90 days to leave. And before you knew it, we were uh, in the States uh, the following January. And so uh, that, then I get, I get to the States. They really, I start getting the the uh, the sense that they don't want me back, and I, I was still fighting with my loyalty with the government. I was a very loyal employee, and 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 I loved my job, and I was still fighting with that. But I, I then came to my senses that they didn't want me back. I didn't want back, and and I sought resources, and the only way was to uh, take a. I wanted to take an early retirement. They denied that, and so I, I took a medical retirement in May of 2015 with the help of Congressman Michael McCall. He was a great advocate of mine and helpful, and he helped me uh, uh, achieve that medical retirement. So even the medical retirement, you needed to marshal the support of the Republican House chairman of of the Homeland Security Committee. Um, but, but the notion that they would have given you some sort of pension, again, being part of a very rare incident like that, um again very disquieting you put that full picture together um add this to the list of crazy things that happened under the obama administration that we all thought we'd be able to get more disclosure closure documents clarity advocacy under the trump administration um but much like with extortion 17 you know the shooting down of the navy seals in afghanistan just we don't none of this stuff seems to have a sequel and i guess we're you know i'm I'm certainly committed to to using the few channels I have. We'll talk about this how to how to do something, but I, I just I just want people to see how you know illegal aliens could just break into this country. They get to sue. They get endless lawyers, endless help. 
the the weight of the universe on their side. You have an ice agent um, killed, and another one uh, almost killed uh, by by the worst human beings alive in the Zetas cartel. And we can't even get justice, much less answers. Um, before I let you go, just wanna just uh, circle back on Fast and Furious. So you know the media says, well, there's no evidence that Fast that that these guns were part of the ATF Fast and Furious scandal. Could you shed some light on what you know? about these assassins how they got the guns and how this relates to uh fast and furious yeah absolutely so uh there's there's you know fast and furious originated in arizona and we all know now the the botched uh operation and but that was going to be the model for the rest of the united states and it sure was because our guns were uh bought and or purchased in texas and walked south into mexico uh, two of the weapons that were uh, recovered that were used, and one of them that shot and killed Jaime and, and, and used in our shooting were part of these walking, uh, what we call gun walking operations. But this one just happens to be out of Texas. There's, there's many others. It's just that uh, they, they, they haven't come to light yet. Uh, and there's a lot of other people and victims of Fast and Furious that have been affected, gun shop owners in, in Nevada and, and Arizona. And so the, our case in, in, da- in Dallas and Houston were under the uh, supervision of ATF as well. They knew the, what we call the straw purchasers, which is, are these people that go and buy these guns that are clean, have a clean background in order to buy them. They knew and had identified these guys way before, even before um, the, the tra- tragic death of Agent Brian Terry in December of 2010. So they had the opportunity to arrest these guys and prosecute, uh, prosecute them, yeah. but they, did not, they chose not to. And they um, allowed them to get these weapons. They knew they were going to go south. They knew they were going to walk south. There was no uh, interdiction of these guns. They knew they were going to go to the hands of these cartels in Mexico. By the way, this killed thousands of Mexicans uh, over there. And, uh, oh, yeah. and, and they, didn't, um, they didn't do anything about it. As soon as our shooting happened, yeah, a week later, they're in custody. Of course they are. Uh, and so I think partly of the lawsuit and all this other stuff and maybe the retaliation against me has been because of Fast and Furious and, and the botched operation that continues to be. Guns from Operation Fast and Furious have turned out up in the, the big massacre in Paris. Uh, El Chapo Guzman had a 50 caliber out of Fast and Furious. I mean, these guns have been all over the place and all over the world. And they continue to turn up in crime scenes. I think the latest one was in the state of Chihuahua. And they will continue because we're talking about thousands of guns that were allowed to walk by our own government into Mexico. That was never set up. There was no interdiction. There was no cooperation with the Mexican customs to say, listen, these guns are coming here in the border. Let's intercept them. Let's do a controlled delivery into a warehouse and take them down in Mexico. Something that could be possibly you know, drawn up as an operation, but that never happened. The guns flew, and I'm sorry, walked just flew, uh, uh, just without any any uh, uh, interdiction whatsoever and into the hands of, in this case, the Zetas cartels in their hands to shoot us and kill Agent Zapata. And, and the thing is, what, what is also very disquieting from what you're saying is this reveals a broader problem of what I call this cross-border insurgency, where you have so many cartels with, with, with such access to this country, whether there's a lot of legal immigrants or even citizens already, 
with green cards, citizenship, that they've been able to get here, family members, cartel associates that are living in America. They go back and forth. This is almost like a cross-border insurgency. Um, I just I, I read yesterday on my show a letter from a border agent who sent to me that's just very frustrated with this. It's, it's a cultural insurgency. And, and again, because we're not enforcing our sovereignty among all the other things you're talking about, uh, this is very sad. Um, but I did want our audience to hear about this. And this is yet another opportunity for the administration to um, turn the tables. And we're going to definitely be pushing for this. As, as I'm talking to you, the wheels are turning in my mind. I'm working on uh, you know a sovereignty bill a criminal alien bill with some members of Congress. And I think this is definitely a piece of, of the puzzle. There needs to be a, a complete prohibition of all humanitarian visas to those involved with cartels that if you're, you know, related to cartels, well, you can't claim, you know, parole or asylum or U visas or this type of stuff. Um, this is just really terrible. Uh, hopefully we're going to get answers from, you know, from DHS, I'm going to be looking for them. Yeah, and I look, did. Victor. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Any, any closing say, words? Yeah. Two things that, that we're, I'm going to continue to ask Congress is uh, I've been wanting a congressional hearing to really bring to light everything, have these people come in and, and testify everyone that was involved. But I, I really want uh, Congress to order DHS OIG to conduct an investigation. You would think that would be normal and would and, uh, and because of the incident would have been uh, ordered already, but it hasn't. We want DHS OIG to to really conduct a thorough investigation, and we love for President Trump to lift whatever privilege that President Obama uh, instilled and 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 ordered uh, executive order privilege on these documents and protecting. We want uh, President Trump to hopefully overturn that and lift that order. Again, the, the, folks, this is one of the most insane things that has ever happened that nobody knows about. It wouldn't surprise me. I, I, in fact, if I were a betting man, I would say the president himself probably doesn't know about this, or at least not offhand. Maybe if you would jog his memory, he would remember. I, I don't know, but this is part of the problem. We need to raise awareness that this even happened. It, it's truly unbelievable. Um, but again, this is the type of thing that we're always going to pursue justice on this show, justice for the forgotten man, forgotten law enforcement, forgotten victims of crime, forgotten victims of illegal aliens, cartels, drug trafficking, you name it. That's what this show is all about. Victor, thanks so much for joining us. You know, May God give you comfort and answers. Your family is a Pata family. Uh, we're out of time. Uh, send me your comments, questions, and concerns. You want me to ask Victor offline, I can talk about it on the show. You can email me at dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Subscribe at iTunes. Drop us a five-star rating there. We really need that to get through those algorithms at iTunes. Uh, tweet me at Arm Conservative. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. <laughs>